peculiar time of the year when it's to know where you are and why you have been kidnapped. Well, the Bridge of Sighs. The guys who works here went psycho. Welcome to October by May. The short stories of Edward T. May. Presented by James Allen May. I have a big change to announce this week. October by May is going to be fully remaking itself. From here on out, instead of featuring our usual dose of spooky tales, we're going to be a podcast entirely devoted to extreme, reactionary, and controversial politics. All politics, all the time, focusing on topics of the most divisive nature. Did that scare you? (laughs) Sorry about that. But that's why you came here, right? To chill your bones a bit? I just wanted to get you in the mood. No. Unless you have intense political feelings about undeveloped city blocks, you can allow that initial jolt of fear to subside. Yes, today we're exploring a simple plot of land, wedged between two suburban neighborhoods. It's entirely undeveloped, completely untouched. No litter, no encampments, no unsavory figures, just a small grove of elm trees. And the thing that lives inside them. The Thing in the Elms. It was positioned between Danny's neighborhood and Glen Hills like a demilitarized zone in an undeclared war, an entire city block with nothing on it but a small grove of elm trees battered by time and tempest. Nobody knew for sure who owned the land, How the area managed to remain untouched by development was another mystery, although Danny's father, Henry, was not reluctant to voice an opinion on the subject when given the opportunity. A staunch, blue-collar union man, he averred on more than one occasion it was the machinations of the SOBs in Glen Hills that kept the block from being utilized. Being at the tender age of nine, and not having an older brother willing to enlighten him on the subject, Danny could only assume his father was comparing the people in Glen Hills to crybabies sobbing whenever they didn't get their way. The grown-ups were also surprised, as well as relieved, the undeveloped land had not become a dumping ground for items too large to be picked up by the weekly disposal service. The other vacant lots around town sported, at the very least, a cache of used Christmas trees. Many of them harbored bald tires and disemboweled couches. Occasionally, a more exotic item, such as a kitchen appliance, could be observed. But the vacant block bordering Danny's neighborhood seemed, in some mysterious way, exempt from such refuse. Of course, Danny and his friends viewed the block in a completely different fashion than the grown-ups. While the adults discussed zoning laws and other arcane subject matter, the children wondered why the area wasn't used for more important purposes, such as baseball, football, and kickball. It was also a peculiar fact that such concerns remained unvoiced. Danny certainly thought about such potential uses for the area, but had never discussed them with anyone. The truth of the matter being, all the children thought about using the block as a playground, but none of them ever talked about the situation. No fence obstructed access to the field, and no sign of any kind designated the area as off-limits. Yet other than to shorten their journey by cutting across the field on their way home from school, children rarely set foot on the block. 
Stranger still, no explanation existed for such behavior. No legends of Indian burial grounds, colonial-era witchcraft, or modern satanic cults circulated in the community. Despite having no apparent basis for their behavior, it seemed the people in the surrounding neighborhood were determined to treat the vacant plot of land with suspicion. That much seemed clear to Danny on the rare occasions he took the time to consider the subject. What puzzled Danny was whether the suspicion was born of instinct or ignorance. Since Danny was only nine years of age, he did not consider the subject very often. As he readied himself for an evening of trick-or-treat, his primary consideration was how much candy he would manage to accumulate in the course of the evening. He hastily applied his mother's lipstick to his forehead, creating the semblance of a bullet wound. He stepped back a pace and eyed his reflection. He then proceeded to lean forward until his nose nearly touched the mirror and inspected his handiwork from a different perspective. He shrugged, placed his cowboy hat on his head, and ran downstairs. Danny bumped into his older brother, Ben, as he entered the kitchen. Watch where you're going, you goofy kid! Ben growled as he shoved Danny back through the doorway. Leave me alone! Danny shouted, knocking Ben's hands away. Ben's retort froze on his lips as he stared at Danny's costume. What are you supposed to be, anyway? Ben asked. Danny hesitated, knowing any response would be subject to ridicule. I'm an outlaw, Danny mumbled. An outlaw, Ben jeered. Oh, do all outlaws get kisses from your mummies? It's a bullet hole, you jerk, Danny yelled indignantly. Ben howled with laughter. That's enough in there, you two. Danny's mother called from another part of the house. Ben continued to laugh as Danny balled up his fists in anticipation of a Donnybrook. A hand suddenly appeared over Ben's mouth. You've had your laugh. Now go pass out the candy, Danny's mother commanded. Ben rolled his eyes and walked away as his mother grabbed Danny's face with both hands. She tilted his head this way and that before finally commenting. Not bad, she said. Not bad at all. Thanks. Danny said, as a grin made a subtle appearance at the corners of his mouth. Remember, I don't want you leaving the neighborhood, understood? His mother said sternly. Yeah, I know, Danny acknowledged. When are your friends coming over? Oh, they're not coming over here. I'm going to meet them on the corner in a few minutes, Danny explained. His mother nodded. Have fun, she said. Be home by nine. Okay, later, Mom, Danny said, making the three words sound like one as he grabbed his pillowcase off the kitchen table and squeezed out the back door. Danny raced down the street, dodging trick-or-treaters as he went. He slowed to a walk as he neared the end of the block and began a visual search for his friends, Jimmy and Nick. Disappointed to find nobody waiting, Danny leaned against the light post and checked his watch. I'm a few minutes late, he thought. They should already be here. Oh well, I guess they'll be showing up soon. Danny began feeling awkward. Groups of people were going door to door while he was standing by himself. A small group of children, shepherded by an adult, approached. Everyone in the group glanced at Danny as they passed. As they continued walking, Danny could hear one of the children asking the adult a question. Why was that boy just standing there? The response was muffled and incomprehensible to Danny. Seconds later, another group approached. As the children advanced up the front walk of the corner house, the man chaperoning the group, peered at Danny. Are you lost? Do you need any help? The man asked. Oh, uh, no thank you. I'm just waiting for some friends, Danny responded. The man nodded and moved on, 
Just as Danny was about to return home and phone his friends, a pair of shapes emerged from the far end of the street. Danny soon recognized them as Jimmy and Nick. Jimmy was dressed as a pirate, and Nick was a vampire. What took you guys so long? Danny asked in a casual tone, trying his best not to betray the irritation he felt at the delay. We decided to stop at a few houses along the way, Nick confessed, somewhat sheepishly. Jimmy, not feeling a need to explain his actions to anyone, said nothing. He scooped a chocolate bar out of his bag, tore the wrapper off, and began eating the treat. Jimmy was the tough guy of the fourth grade. He was by no means a bully, yet certainly was not inclined to suffer fools gladly either. Nobody in the fourth grade, and hardly anyone in the fifth grade for that matter, was willing to tangle with him. Everyone wanted to be friends with Jimmy, his friendship being a status symbol. Yet it was Danny, not considered by most to be one of the coolest kids in the fourth grade, that Jimmy decided to choose as one of his best friends. Danny couldn't figure out why. Danny didn't have a pretty sister or a big house or lots of expensive toys. He finally decided to accept Jimmy's offer of friendship at face value. To Danny, it was just one of life's mysteries. So, where should we start? Nick asked. Well, why don't we just start right here? Danny suggested. Nick and Danny looked to Jimmy for approval before proceeding. Jimmy shrugged noncommittally. It's okay with me, he said. The boys began their door-to-door excursion at the corner house. Before long, they'd made a game of it, as children tend to do with all activities. It became a contest to see who could get to the next house first, say trick-or-treat the loudest, collect the most candy, collect the best type of candy, recognize the most people, and on and on. Jimmy and Danny laughed till they cried when Nick found it necessary to relieve himself behind the bush in the Benson's yard. When Mr. Benson unexpectedly walked out the front door, Nick was forced to hustle down the street, one hand clutching his pillowcase and the other struggling to keep his pants from falling. When they came to homes rigged up with haunted houses, the boys would invariably go inside, hide somewhere, and then scare other people taking the tour. They laughed and teased and wrestled with one another as they wended their way through the subdivision, methodically going up one street and down another. They were startled when they realized they were standing in front of the last house in the neighborhood. The trio stood indecisively for a moment. In that instant, Danny knew, as surely as the sun rises in the east, one of the other boys was going to make a suggestion concerning Glen Hills. Let's go on over to Glen Hills, Jimmy said nonchalantly. They always pass out good stuff. Good idea, Nick declared enthusiastically. Danny thought of his mother's admonition to stay in the neighborhood. Then he considered what Nick and Jimmy would say if he refused to trick-or-treat in Glen Hills. He knew the time it had already taken to consider the issue, a few seconds at most, could possibly be damaging his reputation beyond repair. What do you say, Danny? Are you with us? Nick muttered suspiciously. What are we waiting for? Danny said merrily. The boys set off for Glen Hills, walking on the opposite side of the street from the undeveloped tract of land that separated the neighborhoods. Midway down the block, Danny glanced across at the scraggly elms as they fidgeted in the breeze. It seemed to him, the street lamp nearest the grove of elms was unable to illuminate with the intensity of the other street lamps. It was almost as if the light from that particular lamp was somehow being smothered or dampened by an unseen force. Just my imagination, Danny reassured himself. Bulb probably needs changing. A few minutes later, they were ringing doorbells in upscale Glen Hills. 
Thirty minutes after they entered Glen Hills, their pillowcases bulged with goodies, and their arms ached with the effort necessary to keep their treasures aloft. They began trudging homeward, with sacks slung over their shoulders, each boy resembling a pint-sized Santa Claus. Once again, they walked on the side of the street opposite the undeveloped property. As they came abreast of the elms, they heard a commotion ahead of them and observed three figures huddled together under a street lamp. That's Joe Skinner and his buddies, Nick whispered. My brothers told me stories about him. The guy's always getting into trouble, fighting, breaking the rules, whatever. Danny, too, had heard about Joe Skinner. If Ben was to be believed, and he had no reason to lie, Joe spent more time in detention than in a regular classroom. Yeah, and his friends are just as bad, Danny confirmed. Nick and Danny looked at Jimmy. They didn't say a word, but their expressions pleaded with Jimmy to steer clear of the older boys. It went against Jimmy's nature to hide from anyone, but in addition to being tough, Jimmy was also smart. He could see any conflict with the trio of teenagers was bound to be a losing battle. Jimmy scanned the area. The stand of elm trees seemed to offer the only refuge in the immediate vicinity. After motioning with his head, Jimmy darted across the street, followed closely by Nick and Danny. Danny flopped down in the shadows of the elms and should have felt comforted by the concealment they offered, but he wasn't. What are they doing anyhow? Nick wanted to know. The teenagers were still in a huddle. They're looking through some bags, Jimmy responded. You know they didn't go trick-or-treating. They probably stole them from someone. After selecting enough treats to fill their pockets, the teenagers began whooping wildly as they threw the remaining candy into the street. Hey, Randy, remember their faces when we took their bags? Joe reminisced. Yeah, Randy giggled. Wouldn't you love to see their faces now? We should have brought them along, the little losers. Joe pulled a bottle out of his pocket, placed it to his mouth, upended it, and then threw it into the street as well. The wind carried the tinkling of broken glass to Danny and his friends as they watched the proceedings. One of Joe's friends broke away from the merriment and ran over to a nearby house. He grabbed a jack-o'-lantern from the porch and rejoined his cronies. Check this out! he said as he lofted the jack-o'-lantern into the night sky. The orange projectile landed with a meaty thud in the middle of the street. Hey, that's pretty good, Ken, Joe praised his friend. Hurry up, Nick urged under his breath. Hurry up and go somewhere else. As if obeying Nick's request, the three teenagers began strolling toward Glen Hills. Just as Danny was breathing a sigh of relief, Randy grabbed Joe's arm and hissed a single word. Cops! The teenagers appraised the situation just as Jimmy had a few minutes earlier and headed for the elm trees. Danny gritted his teeth and held his breath as Joe and his friends hurried across the street and laid down on the ground a few short strides away. As their attention was directed at the approaching police car, they were unaware of Danny. The car cruised slowly past. Soon, the tires encountered the candy and broken glass left in the street. A series of snapping sounds followed, like breaking bones. Then Danny became aware of another sound. Pigs. He could hear oh, someone muttering gosh, obscenities at the police as the taillights retreated Man, down the street. Danny took short, pigs. baby breaths trying to minimize noise. He glanced at Nick and Jimmy. The tall weeds and shadows made it nearly impossible to see them. Danny was confident their presence would remain undetected. It seemed the teenagers wouldn't discover them, unless of course they actually tripped over a prone body. 
Unfortunately, that was exactly what happened. As the police car disappeared, Joe stood up. That was close, he commented. Ken and Randy joined him. What now? Ken asked. We do just what we were going to do before they came along. We go into Glen Hills and see how many tires we can slit in an hour. But first I've got to get rid of all the beer I've been drinking. Joe took a few steps away from his friends, unzipped his pants, and tripped over Nick. What the- Joe cursed. The rest of his words muted as he hit the ground. Nick never moved or made a sound, still laboring under the delusion he wouldn't be discovered if he wished hard enough for such a result. Joe grabbed a handful of Nick's shirt and yanked him to his feet. Just then, Danny felt someone grab his arm. He was pulled roughly toward Joe. Jimmy, having selected a better hiding place than his companions, could have evaded detection, but decided to share the fate of his friends. He boldly emerged from concealment, immediately challenging the older boys. Leave us alone, Jimmy demanded. We're not bothering you guys. What have we got here? Joe whispered malevolently. A pirate, Dracula, and a cowboy? You guys are really cute. Sorry we can't stay around. We were just on our way home, Jimmy declared evenly as he turned to go. A hand grabbed Jimmy by his collar and jerked him backwards. You're going nowhere until I say you can. I want to know what you brats were hiding from, Randy demanded. Hiding from the cops, just like you were, Jimmy hissed as he knocked the hand away. That's a load of bull, Ken observed. You were hiding from us, you little. Why would we hide from you? Jimmy sneered. I just hate kids like you, Joe spat. You're too stupid to be scared. And you're just too stupid, period, Jimmy shot back. Danny couldn't believe what he was hearing. He knew Jimmy wasn't afraid of fourth graders or even fifth graders. But after all, these were teenagers. They were past the point where threats of spanking or grounding were effective. They seemed to live in a world of their own, with rules of their own making. They had no compunctions where the physical distress of little kids was concerned. You know how you need to beat sense into some kids? Ken commented to no one in particular. I guess this kid needs to have fear beat into him. Yeah, and I'm going to enjoy every second of it, Joe purred. Danny felt sick. Too much candy and a sudden overdose of adrenaline were working its will on his stomach. He was about to witness one of his best friends pummeled. Nick and he would quite probably be next in line. As he focused on the tableau before him, Danny's mind was occupied with a confusing swirl of thoughts and images, and yet something managed to catch his attention. Something was out of sync, something so subtle he was unable to immediately identify the disturbance, yet so out of place it managed to attract his attention under desperate circumstances. What was it? Ken was behind him, Joe and Jimmy were directly in front of him, still exchanging pleasantries, with Randy and Nick just beyond them and offset to the left. What's wrong? Danny wondered. Did I actually see something? Or was it just a feeling? Beyond Randy and Nick, through a gap in the elms, Danny could see the street, framed by sidewalks, littered with candy, glass, and remnants of jack-o'-lantern. A streetlight illuminated the scene. The wind. There it is again, Danny thought. What? It's the shadows. The wind is blowing the branches around, but not all of the shadows are moving like they're supposed to. Danny blinked, looked away, looked back. It was still there, 
a shadow disobeying the urgings of the wind, actually moving against the wind. He watched in fascination as the tendril of darkness began a series of undulations. It seemed to have a goal in mind. It was searching, questing toward... toward Randy. Danny stood and watched, slack-jawed, as the shadow passed over Randy's mouth. Randy's eyes grew wide, wider than Danny thought possible. In fear? Pain? Danny wondered. What is he feeling? An involuntary reaction followed as Danny's eyes widened as well. Randy's hands raked wildly at his face, but it seemed there was nothing of any substance to grasp. Soon, more shadows appeared, snaking around Randy's legs and torso until he disappeared from sight. Am I the only one seeing this? Danny thought. As if in answer, Ken moved around Danny and took a few tentative steps toward the spot where Randy had been. Nick, as he was standing in front of Randy, was unaware of his captor's fate. Joe? Ken muttered. Joe ignored him as he grabbed a handful of Jimmy's hair and balled his fist. Hey, Joe! Ken said, louder this time, as he gripped Joe's arm. What? Joe responded irritably. Randy! Ken whispered. Randy's gone! Joe, Jimmy, and Nick all turned to look. When Nick realized he was no longer being guarded, he bolted, the sound of his footsteps swept away by the rising wind. Where did he go? Joe demanded. I... I don't know, Ken stuttered. He he was right there, he was standing right there, and... And then he... wasn't. It's like he was... Ken seemed at a loss for words. He was what? Joe yelled. It's like he was eaten by the dark. Joe, seeing Ken's expression, realized it was no joke and swallowed a rebuke. Randy? Joe called experimentally. Hey, Randy! Joe released his grip on Jimmy and took a few paces near the spot where Randy was last seen. Jimmy sidestepped until he was next to Danny. What's going on? Jimmy whispered. Danny began mouthing an explanation but ended up by shaking his head. Ken joined Joe, and together they inspected the area where their friend disappeared. They stomped on the ground, thinking they might find the entrance to an underground hideaway concealed amidst the dead leaves. They turned their attention to the elms, but no friend was found hiding in the barren branches. Let's forget these little brats and go, Ken finally suggested. Danny nudged Jimmy and directed his attention to Joe. A tentacle of darkness, dipping and rising like a sine wave, approached Joe, angling toward his left hand hanging loosely at his side. The tip of the tentacle hesitated for a second and then made contact with Joe's hand. Ow! Joe exclaimed as he jerked his hand away. The tentacle retreated. What's wrong? Ken asked. Something cold, Joe informed him. Real cold. Colder than ice. It was like, I don't know, like that dry ice stuff. Joe winced and rubbed his hand. The tendril of darkness appeared again, seeking, questing. It rippled toward Ken, upward from the ground, and began a rapid spiral ascent around his legs. Simultaneously, another tendril descended from the elm branch directly above Joe and looped around his neck. Ken gasped, but seemed unable to produce any words, almost as if he just jumped into a pool of icy water, then collapsed. Joe scratched at the darkened noose encircling his neck. Other blackened tendrils began teaming over the two stricken teens and they were soon swallowed in darkness. 
Jimmy and Danny dashed into the street and ran toward home. About a block from Danny's house, they stopped under a streetlight, bent at the waist and panting. What the heck was that? Danny gasped. Don't know, Jimmy said as his head wobbled from side to side. Come on, Danny urged. We've got to tell my dad about this. As Danny began walking away, Jimmy grabbed him by the arm. We don't tell anyone, Jimmy said in a tone, indicating he wasn't willing to debate the issue. What? Why not? They'll think we're crazy if we tell them we saw three guys get eaten up by shadows. You know how grown-ups are. They might even think we had something to do with it, Jimmy warned. They'll probably put us in juvenile detention or something. Yeah, but... Danny protested. Look, the only reason to tell anyone would be to help Joe and his buddies, right? But there's nothing we can do for those guys anyway, Jimmy assured him. They're already gone. But what if someone else, someone who doesn't know about whatever's in those trees gets too close? Danny whined. Jimmy decided Danny had a good point and thought for a moment. Okay, Tomorrow we'll put up some signs, you know, signs that say no trespassing or danger stay out or something like that. That way if someone goes in there and gets killed, it'll be their own fault, not ours. How's that sound? Danny didn't think Jimmy's idea went far enough, but he wasn't in the mood to prolong an argument over the finer points of the situation. The excitement of the evening had taken its toll on Danny. All he wanted to do at the moment was get to the safety of his own home as soon as possible. Yeah, I guess that's okay. Danny shrugged. Jimmy nodded and trotted off in the direction of his house. Danny didn't like being alone and hurried home, entering the house just as the clock in the hallway chimed for the nine o'clock hour. You made it in the nick of time. I was just about to send Ben out after you, his mother chided. Yeah, Danny managed to say as he began climbing the stairs. Wait, his mother commanded, then in a softer tone. What's wrong, sweetie? Where's your candy? Some older kids stole our candy, he mumbled. Did they hurt you? She asked as her brow wrinkled in concern. No, I'm okay, just tired. Next year I'll have Ben go with you, she assured him. You get some sleep. Danny went to his room and crawled into bed. He slept fitfully and awoke the next morning, a Saturday, feeling anything but refreshed. He ate a bowl of cereal and then rode his bike over to Jimmy's house. He found Jimmy in his garage, surrounded by paintbrushes, nails, and scrap lumber. Just making those signs we talked about, Jimmy said. Want to help? Sure. Danny picked up a hammer and began nailing a piece of plywood to a 2 by 4 What do you think we saw last night? Danny asked. Jimmy exhaled. I couldn't sleep last night because I was thinking about that, he confessed. I've seen a lot of those nature shows, and they gave me an idea. I think it was some type of, I don't know, creature, I guess. It's maybe been around since the dinosaurs, and it's extinct everywhere but here. Really? Danny said eagerly, interested in Jimmy's theory. Well, sure, why not? There's all kinds of weird stuff in the world we don't know about, Jimmy assured him. Danny thought for a moment. They sure worked fast, he observed. Jimmy dipped a brush in a paint can. How come there wasn't anything left? You know, like bones or anything? Danny asked. Jimmy shrugged. 
Maybe they're like those fish in South America. I can't remember what they're called. You mean piranhas? Danny suggested. Yeah, maybe they're like piranhas, only worse. They eat everything, bones and all. Why do you think they only stay in that one place? Danny asked timidly, not wanting to sound ignorant. Jimmy, flattered because Danny had not ridiculed his ideas, stopped painting and looked at his friend. Maybe it's because they're somehow, you know, stuck to those trees. Or maybe they need the trees for camouflage. Or maybe they're afraid to leave that field for some reason. Who knows? Jimmy seemed to enjoy speculating. Did you ever notice hardly anybody goes near the place? Especially at night? Danny asked. Yeah, I noticed. Not just people either. You don't see animals near the place, not even birds. Jimmy added. Maybe that's because we can kind of... feel? That that creature's in the field and so we stay away. Kind of like instinct. Danny suggested. Could be, Jimmy conceded. Danny half-heartedly pounded a nail. Maybe it's not a creature, Danny said softly. Jimmy stopped painting and looked up. What do you mean? What else could it be? Danny paused. He glanced over his shoulder, then back at Jimmy. Maybe it was like... a devil or something, Danny said, fully expecting Jimmy to laugh. Jimmy didn't laugh. Maybe that's why nothing goes near those trees, Danny continued. Maybe it's because we can sense the evil that's in there, and maybe that's why Joe and his friends disappeared so fast and why there was nothing left of them. Because they got taken. Someplace else. Maybe, Jimmy said, as if he'd thought of the same explanation. Either way, whether it's a creature or a devil, we'd better get these signs over there. The boys gathered the signs and two hammers and walked over to the field. From the sidewalk, they scanned the area where the older boys had disappeared the previous night. The sun warmed their backs. The shadows are all slanting away from us, Danny pointed out. Yeah, that'll make it easier to keep an eye on them, Jimmy noted. Yell real loud if you see one of them turn this way. Maybe they only come out at night, Danny said hopefully. Maybe. But we better watch them anyway, Jimmy advised. They hastily pounded the signs into the ground, making sure their feet remained on the sidewalk. They were about to leave when Jimmy nudged Danny's arm. What's wrong? Danny asked. Look over there, Jimmy said, directing Danny's gaze toward the weed-choked area around the bowl of the closest elm. Our candy bags, Danny lamented. Jimmy took a step forward. Wait! Danny extended an arm across Jimmy's path. You're not going in there, are you? It'll just take a second, Jimmy said confidently. It's not worth it. We can get more candy at the store, Danny argued. My mom's got tons of candy left over. Forget the bags. Jimmy shook his head. I can't let all that candy go to waste. Just keep an eye on those shadows. If you see any of them turn and come my way, let me know. Before Danny could offer any more discouraging words... Jimmy bolted into the field. Danny could only watch, horrified, as his friend plunged into the weeds. Jimmy quickly snatched his bag of candy and returned to Danny's side, unharmed. Come on, let's go, Jimmy said nonchalantly as he popped a piece of bubble gum in his mouth. The boys returned to Jimmy's house, where Danny stayed until lunchtime. Upon returning home, his mother kept him busy for the rest of the day with chores. 
As evening approached, Danny sat down on the couch in the family room and fished the remote from the crevice formed by the cushions. The television flickered to life. Two men were talking like teachers. It sounded boring, and Danny was about to change the station, but didn't. He began listening to their conversation. Tell me, Professor Durant, how exactly do animals end up in places outside of their natural environment? Well, on occasion, man will introduce certain organisms into an environment for some specific reason. One example would be the goats found on some of the islands in the Pacific Ocean. These animals were introduced for the purpose of provisioning settlers and sailors. Another example would be the mongoose. The mongoose was brought to areas where man wanted to reduce the snake population. Then again, it's quite common for organisms to be transported from one area to another completely by accident. For instance, the bubonic plague was spread from Asia to North America by rats transported across the Pacific Ocean on ships. These rats were certainly not welcomed on the ships, but rather boarded the vessels on their own initiative. Were it not for man's intervention, whether by accident or design, many animals would not be found where they exist today. Danny suddenly felt sick. He lunged for the telephone. His hands felt clumsy, like he was wearing gloves. He dialed Jimmy's number. Come on! Danny hissed. The phone continued ringing. Please? Danny begged. Hello? A woman's voice sounded in Danny's ear. Oh, hi, Mrs. Pearson. This is Danny. May I speak with Jimmy, please? It's very important. Oh, hello, Danny. I think Jimmy's in his room. Wait just a moment and I'll check. Danny could hear Jimmy's mother set the phone down. He could hear her footsteps as she walked to the bottom of the staircase. Jimmy! Telephone! She called up the stairs. Danny heard no response. Jimmy's mother called Jimmy again, louder this time. Jimmy! Are you up there? Again, there was no response. Danny heard footsteps ascending a staircase. Come on, come on, come on, answer the phone! Danny said urgently. Just get away now, get away from the... He heard Jimmy's mother scream. Bag. Once again, I'm James Allen May, and I want to thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of October by May. October by May is a bi-weekly podcast with new episodes every other Tuesday. So make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a single sojourn into October please leave us a rating and review, as well as any comments or replies that you may have for us. Also visit us at octoberbymay.com for more info, as well as links to the books by Edward T. May. The Thing in the Elms by Edward T. May Recitation and audio design by James Allen May Theme by Hassan Nazari Rabadi Cracking Oak Tree Sound, provided by Clankbield at freesound.org. That's K-L-A-N-K-B-E-E-L-D at freesound.org.